If you'll find your place this morning in your Bibles in Mark chapter 14, let's stand as we open the Word of God together. I want to read about an unforgettable encounter with the Lamb of God. And I want us to learn the importance of an unforgettable encounter with the Lamb of God. And I want us to know how we can pass on, how we can leave as a legacy our particular unforgettable encounter with the Lamb of God as we continue this series called Pass It On. This young lady in this passage is going to pass her story on for eternity because Jesus tells us so in the passage itself that she will always be remembered for what she did. And I want that kind of an encounter with Christ, with the Lamb of God. So if you found your place, Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 3, it says, While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease. Simon, he was known as Simon the leper. As he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. Some translations refer to it as spike nard. It says she broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Now we know that Judas, according to the synoptics in John, that Judas was leading the way with the complaining here. We know what he had in mind as well. But they were asking the question, it seems that the other disciples have joined in, why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, which would have been a year's wage, and given to the poor. They began to scold her. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you. You can do good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Father, we thank you for the story that was preserved here in Mark 14, that the other gospel writers also provide great information concerning Lord, according to a promise that you made, her story would be passed on to the next generation and the next and throughout history. Lord, as we gather on a Palm Sunday looking at an event that took place just one week before you gave your life on the cross for us, I pray that you would give us greater understanding, uh, not only of insight into what this woman has done in this passage and that's forever remembered, but give us understanding of, of how we can also focus on the cross and discover a way to pass on for generations to come the importance of a life sold out to Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. How do you want to be remembered for generations? You know, the way a lot of people do something to hope that someone will remember something about them after they have been gone, 
is they, they put it on their tombstone, right? You might remember the, the pizza commercials for tombstone pizza. Uh, someone's about to give up their, their life. Maybe they're about to be executed, and they're asked, what do you want on your tombstone? And as they're, they're thinking about it, what comes to their mind is what they want on the pizza. And that's about as far as most of us go in thinking about uh, what we're going to pass on to the next generation or thinking about what we want to be known for. It's hard for us to think past lunch today, much less what we want the rest of our life or our legacy to be after we've gone. What others actually do is they put it on their tombstone. They really have something I saw this week where one lady had actually, well, I don't know if this was her decision or someone else's, but they all wanted her brownie recipe, and so she didn't give it up until she passed away, and they put her recipe on her tombstone. Now, if she was known for her brownies, I guess those were some pretty good brownies. Some other famous epitaphs that you may have heard of, Rodney Dangerfield hasn't been uh, passed away too long. He just has on his tombstone, there goes the neighborhood. Now, I doubt that he's going to make um, heaven any better or hell any worse, depending on where he is today. But that's what he wanted on his tombstone, and people that knew him probably could uh, identify with that statement. There's one tombstone that simply says, here lies a man named Zeke, the second fastest draw in Cripple Creek. It's a pretty good tombstone. W.C. Fields had put on his tombstone, evidently he had made fun of the city of Philadelphia many times, but by his grave his tombstone just simply reads, I'd rather be living in Philadelphia. Not so sure about that one. Uh, In the state of Colorado, there's an individual who just had these words put on his tombstone. I don't know who all he had tried to convince of, of what before he passed away, but on his tombstone it simply reads, See, I told you I was sick. (laughs) Well, maybe that's what you want to be remembered for. Um, Merv Griffin, who kind of made uh, late-night talk shows a thing, right? Merv Griffin made famous the statement, we will be right back after these messages. On his tombstone, it reads, I will not be right back after this message. I don't know what hope he had in the resurrection or if that's what he even had in mind. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want people, when you think of uh, stepping into eternity, what do you want to leave? What do you want to have invested for the glory of God? I want to be someone who is known for drawing close to Christ and to his cross. Now, this wasn't Mary's, and you say, how do we know this is a Mary? According to John chapter 12, this uh, was most likely Mary. The distant relative, uh, certainly friend of of Jesus, uh, the sister of Lazarus and Martha. This wasn't Mary's first interaction with Jesus, but it was one that would be unforgettable. It would be a moment where she chose, again, something that was better, and that was worshiping our Lord. It's not that she's going to now be remembered for the legacy of Lazarus or somebody else that she knew. She's going to be remembered for what she did in the presence of our Lord, her encounter with God that would be forever recorded in Scriptures. So she would certainly pass this on. Let me ask you this question. Do your children and grandchildren and the people that you know and love, do they know about your encounters with Christ? Do they know how important He is in your life? Do they know how important the cross of Christ is? 
the resurrection of Christ. They, they know that you meet with Jesus on a regular basis, that you walk with him and talk with him. Do they know what it is that you would give up everything for if you were to talk with them and if somebody else were to ask them, hey, is there something that your mom or your dad or your grandparents, is there something that your neighbor, is there something they would just kind of give up everything for? Would you be able to have the confidence to know that it would be for the glory of God, for the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ? What are their remarks about your faith? What are their remarks about what you give to Christ? What are their remarks about how you glorify Christ? Or do they even talk about your relationship with God? Do they make remarks about your faith? Do they make remarks about your worship? Do they make remarks about your witness? Listen, if they're not making remarks about your faith, if they're not making remarks about your worship, if they're not making remarks about your witness, that means your faith and your worship and your witness is unremarkable. Unremarkable. And so I want a remarkable faith. I want an encounter with Christ. I want something that I can pass on and leave for generations to come. So what was so remarkable Remarkable about this encounter? This Really, this is not on Palm Sunday. This is the Saturday before Palm Sunday. Jesus is here in Bethany. And we can learn something about this encounter that has made it not only remarkable, but remembered forever. And in verse 3, we see that it was a picture of sacrificial worship that was so remarkable. Her picture of sacrificial worship of the Lamb of God who would be the sacrifice, who would take away the sins of the world. Look with me back at verse 3. It says, while he was in Bethany, remember he enjoyed going to Bethany. He had a good uh, relationship here with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the community. This time, though, he's at the house of Simon, the leper, Simon, who had had this serious skin disease. Now, what a, a beautiful context for gratitude. Some have argued that that's what the meal was prepared for, was just a, a Thanksgiving offering because, remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers? Perhaps this is the one that returned thanks. We don't know all the details, but we know that Jesus is here in a place that would have at one time been considered unclean. Like all of us before we knew Jesus Christ. We were unclean, but because He saved us and we give gratitude for what He's done to cleanse us and make us new in Him, they're gathered here at this house of Simon the leper who had so much to be thankful for. And Jesus is ministering in this context when this woman, again, John 12 tells us that it was Mary, opens up this perfume, this costly oil, they're reclining at a table in this alabaster jar of pure, expensive, fragrant oil. The spikenard, a special pure oil from India. We're told here that it was real, that it was pure. And I think that becomes a picture of how God wants us to be real with Him. He wants us to be genuine in our faith. He doesn't want us to show up on a Sunday morning and, and kind of just put on a show and pretend like we know and love Him and want to serve Him. He wants us to give to Him out of pure motives, out of, out of a pure heart. We want to serve Him freely. And she takes this flask, which even the container would have been expensive, and she breaks it so that the oil can flow freely. It's most likely that she broke what would have been the neck of the bottle. 
If any of you have ever, ever had a tube or a container of some kind, and the hole at the end that you were trying to get some kind of substance out of was so small, it was made small so that none would be wasted. Because this, this oil being worth a year's wage, they would only want to use a small drop at a time. But at this moment, she didn't want to just use a drop at a time. This moment, she wanted the oil to flow freely like we should want our worship to flow freely. So she likely broke the neck of the bottle so that she could pour it more freely in her worship and expend all of it for Jesus. She was not inhibited by the, the, by the critics that we saw in the passage that were complaining. Now Judas wasn't really concerned about the poor, was he? He was the treasurer. He was worried about, was he going to get his cut out of the, the money? And that could have been a sweet love offering for him. But they were saying, wow, so much good could have been done if, if, you, were, if you were willing to break it and, and spend it all and you poured it all on the head. And John tells us also the feet of Jesus. What a waste. At least that's what they were thinking. And when we get ready to serve Christ, when we get ready to expend all for Him, there will be people that will criticize us and say, I can't believe that you're going to invest that much time and effort and money and resources into worshiping and exalting and pointing people to Jesus. People will criticize that. We see here that Jesus defends her. He, he basically says the spiritual expression of worship here is more sacred than even ministry to the poor. We saw that in our study this morning in our life group. We saw that, that the spiritual has to be one of the top priorities, meeting the spiritual needs of people. God may use the physical and ministering to people physically as a means through which to open the door to meet the greatest needs. But in Mark chapter 2, Jesus saw that the forgiveness of t- said that the forgiveness of sins was more important than physical healing. And, and so even in our ministry to the poor and meeting physical needs is to point people to their greatest needs, which is spiritual. And at this moment, she's doing something that's going to be recorded forever to say that Jesus... Christ is the most important person in my life. And he is worthy of the greatest sacrifice because he is going to be the greatest sacrifice for the world. And so she breaks the bottle so that it can flow freely. So much of our worship and our service it just seems to be bottled up in our lives and and we just somehow need to break the end off and let it flow more freely for His glory. Some of you, when you come into a place of corporate worship or in your daily service of our Lord, you want to serve just a little bit. There's, there's a, a, a reservation, not letting go, not wanting to go all out. Romans 12 tells us, Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you by the mercies of God that you give yourself, you give your body, you give your life, what, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your reasonable act of worship and so we should come to a place in our lives where we're like this alabaster bottle we're willing to be broken and poured out for the cause of christ broken and poured out to give god glory where we come to a place in our life where we say all that i am all that i have father it is expendable for you and i'm willing to take what any critic any religious critic or anyone else might say i'm ready to give my all 
for the cause of Christ. She did everything that she could at this moment and gave her all for his glory, for his anointing. It was real, it was pure, it was genuine. I think it pictured her heart. It pictured what we need to be. We need to be real and pure and genuine. And we need to quit just giving God a little bit. Spiritually, we say, here's a, here's a drop of oil, and this is costly. Or we say, Lord, I'm going to give you Sunday morning for about an hour and a half, but that's all I'm going to give you. I'm not going to give you my life completely. When he has said, come and follow me, when he has said, choose the narrow road, we want to choose the narrow road just for a little while, but God, can I get back on the highway that the rest of the world is on for the rest of the week? You know, many of you know that uh, one of our members, um, Jesse Titwood and his friend Max Nash are hiking the Appalachian Trail as trail chaplains. And I admire what they're doing both physically and spiritually. In a texting back and forth this week, uh, Jesse let me know that the spiritual has been more difficult than the physical. He said, man, it's just so hard. Uh, these people, most of them that we're talking to, they, they don't know God. They don't have a clue. And uh, so there's a lot of people out here that don't know the Lord, and it's just so hard to get them into those kind of conversations. But they're praying with people, looking for any opportunity they can to minister to the needs of the people along the way. But they're hiking, and their goal is to complete the Appalachian Trail. And what they've already completed to this point somewhere, I think, in Tennessee today, what they have already completed is phenomenal for me to think about. Man, what hiking the entire Appalachian Trail for the glory of God. And, and to, so to empathize with, with Jesse, you know, a couple of weeks ago, some of you saw the pictures. We were, um, Tina and I were like, hey, let's go for a hike. Let's go for a walk. And Karis and one of her friends. And so, you know, I think that Miss Joni had texted Karis a place, a good place to hike up at, we wanted to go to the city of Dahlonega. So we went up there and hung out, went up to, to uh, Woody Pass and hiked up to Preacher's Rock. Am I right? And so it's about a, a 1.3 to 1.5 mile hike one way. And it's a simple hike. Anybody, just about anybody could do that hike. We're up there and we, we, we do this. And after, I, I said, man, that felt so good. We are, we've done a mile and a half of the Appalachian Trail. We are hikers. We've done the Appalachian Trail. We're, excuse me, we're section hikers. I think that's what they refer to those who are going to knock it out one section at a time. We only have about 2,000 more to go. But those who, who take about, you know, one section at a time, we're section hikers. And to, to try to say that I did what, what Jesse and Max are doing right now would be ludicrous. But so many of us in our spiritual journeys and our walk with Christ on the narrow road, so many of us think that, that we're good because we're section hikers. You know, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you about an hour and a half on Sunday morning, God. You, you know what? We've got an opportunity to do a, a ministry outreach on Saturday. I'm going to walk with you for a little while. At this point, God, I'm on this journey with you, Jesus. I'm, I'm a section hiker. I'll see you later, Jesus. I'll check back in and let you know when I'm ready to hit the trail again. And Jesus has said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says, I want people who are broken and spilled out for me, who don't want to just 
say a little dab will do you, but somebody who will break the flask and say, I'm pouring all that I have for all that you are. It's pictured in the whole burnt offering in Leviticus. Totally consumed. And spiritually and emotionally and physically, I want to be known as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a Christian who is totally consumed for Jesus Christ. Not a section hiker, but someone who walks daily, day in and day out down the narrow road with Jesus. He's worthy of our best. Our best worship, our best witness, uninhibited, not worried about the critics, giving our talents, giving our time, giving our resources, being totally expendable for Him. What a picture of extravagant worship. Oh, but so much could have been done for missions, and so much could have been done to help the poor, and and they spent it all on enhancing worship. Listen, there, there will be times as a church, some of you probably weren't aware, but this past week, our worship leader, Jeff, spent a lot of time on doing some things like the new lighting that you're enjoying this morning. Some of you are like, we've got new lights. Hopefully it'll stay lit. No, I'm just kidding, Jeff. Working hard in some areas that may not be typical. Doing a lot of th- sometimes things that cost money to make enhancements. You say, some of, the, some of these churches, man, they spend all this money on a building. and they could, Think how much could have been done with missions. But listen, giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping Him, There is no cost too extravagant for that. Because when we lift him up, when we exalt him, that will be a great witness for the nations. And so we need to give all that we are for all that he is. Secondly, what she did, we see it right here in the text, was was an act of preparation for the substitutionary death of the Lamb. I'm not sure how much Mary understood what she was doing when it came to preparing him for a death that was going to be less than a week away from that Saturday to the following Friday. But we know that it was preparing him for that because of what happens in the rest of this passage. Look back at verse 6. Jesus said to those who were criticizing, leave her alone. Let her invest in this extravagant act of worship. Why are you bothering her? She has done a noble thing, nothing more noble than exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a picture of his priesthood. It was a picture of his royalty, but it was also a picture of his substitutionary death, his sacrificial atonement that he was going to make. You always have the poor with you, he says. You can do good for them whenever you want, but you won't always have this opportunity. She's done everything that she could. She's anointed my body in advance for burial. She was giving preparation for the substitutionary death of Christ. I want my children and my grandchildren, I want the next generation, I want those I preach to understand that there is nothing more important that I can do than point them to the cross of Jesus Christ where Jesus would lay down his life for the sins of the world. Yes, he was anointed as a king and a priest, but he was anointed as a sacrifice one who would die for the sins of the world. His body was being anointed for the burial uh, after giving his life. Her story, Mary's story, the story recorded, only finds value in that it's part of a bigger story, the story of Jesus Christ who gave his life for the sins of the world. If you look at the context, and 
Mark is one of those gospel writers. He's shorter. It's a shorter account than Matthew and Luke, even though it contains many of the stories. He kind of gives you a synopsis, but Mark is using words like immediately and power, and he's saying, man, this happened and this happened. It's like Mark is so passionate. He's so excited. He can't wait to give us all the information. And, and so the power and, and the authority and the passion of Christ is seen in Mark's gospel more so than any other of the uh, New Testament writings. And so Mark places this right before the Passover meal, which was to follow. And the Passover meal was a reminder that just as that Passover lamb was sacrificed so that the firstborn of all of the Hebrews could be saved and could be spared, Jesus would be our Passover lamb. He would be the one who would die so that we could go free. And nobody is more worthy of any greater honor than the one who is going to lay down his life for not only our sins, but 1 John 2, 2, the sins of the world. Jesus was worthy of that offering because he was being prepared to be the sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. No one's worthy of more honor than that. That's why when we gather for worship, we seek to glorify Him above all things. But in our daily living, in your job, and in your community, wherever you find yourself, it should be my number one goal is to point people to the sacrificial lamb, like John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No greater honor. Now she was honored in this passage. She received a great honor but it's only recognized in the context of the one who is worthy of the greatest honor. You know, the greatest award, the greatest honor any American soldier can receive is called the Congressional Medal of Honor. The the Congressional Medal of Honor is often given posthumously because many of the recipients, because you have to demonstrate such valor in order to be a recipient, Many of the recipients in their act of valor that became worthy of the Congressional Medal of Honor actually gave their lives. And there is one act that is more common for recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor than any other act. And that that one act that, that there are more occasions than any other act is when a soldier has thrown himself or herself on a grenade before it explodes. Almost always, even though there have been some survivors, almost always the person who has thrown himself, the soldier who has thrown himself or herself over a grenade before it explodes to save the lives of those around them, they're giving up their own life as an act of sacrifice, an act of valor. Can you imagine with me in a spiritual realm for a moment That in the midst of our souls, the grenade of sin was thrown into our midst. And the only one who could act in a sufficient way at that point is the Lord Jesus Christ, who threw himself on not only that sin becoming sin for us, but on the wrath of God, which annihilates the sin. Jesus throws himself on that sin grenade for you and for me. Gives up his life. And there's no medal that he's not worthy of. There's no offering 
She was preparing him for this death. Our sin, God's wrath, all laid on him in one moment. The words of Jesus assures her that she'll have a legacy, not because of her sacrifice alone, but because her sacrifice pointed to his even greater sacrifice, the greatest sacrifice the world has ever known. That's what I want to make known. That's what I want to pass on to the next generation. And then finally, we see that there's in this story a proclamation of the salvation message of the Lamb of God that's not only taking place in the the symbolism that we see in the text, but it's also a proclamation that we're being assured of when Jesus assumes that it's going to continue for generations until he returns. And so when you go back to verse 9, he says, I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, there will be the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wherever it is proclaimed, in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told in memory of her. It's going to coincide, her story is going to work together with the message of the gospel, illustrating and expressing what the gospel is all about, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. The proclamation of the salvation message of the Lamb of God will go out, and her story will be tied to it. Her encounter will be interwoven with the very story of Easter. She pictured it, but she also prepared Him for it. and She'll be that sermon illustration for generations to come see we need to come to a place in our life where we're going to point to jesus let everything else take care of itself point people to jesus proclaim the gospel let everything else take care of itself it wasn't about her will she be remembered yes what's ironic is that she's going to have a legacy because she was willing to empty herself of self And if we want to leave a legacy, it's not going to take place because we look for opportunity to say, look at me, look how awesome I am, tell me how special I am, tell me how wonderful I am. But when we come to a place in life where we realize we are nothing without Christ, He's worthy of everything, He's worthy of all the attention, He's worthy of all the praise, and we pour out self and we empty ourselves of self, like John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We also say, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. I'm not worthy to baptize him. I must become less that he becomes greater. And in that, we're pointing people to the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Many of us are familiar with the Christological passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 that he humbled himself and became obedient. But a lot of times we're not familiar with the context of that passage, of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and the fact that he ascended and that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That's verses 5 through 11. But what happens in those first four verses that sets the context, that sets up the context? The first four verses is telling us how we should be as brothers and sisters in Christ around one another. And it's followed then by telling us we should have the same attitude or mindset that Jesus had. Let's look at these verses. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to hear that great hymn 
that great Christological passage again, but I want you to hear it in the context of what Paul had told the church. He says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection... King James uses the word bowels. <laughs> it means that, that gut connection that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If any mercy, he said, fulfill my joy by thinking the same thing, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. What is our one goal? To exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on that one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. I think the NIV uses the word selfish ambition there. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. When it's telling us, don't let this life be about you, focus outwardly, then it says... Make your own attitude or let your own mindset be that of Christ Jesus, who existed, is existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his extreme form, or excuse me, external form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is saying to the church there at Philippi, you empty self of self, Put Jesus and others first, and he'll take care of you. Have the attitude that Christ had who would empty himself of self. See the picture of this alabaster bottle that was broken and poured out, and you totally pour yourself out for the glory of God. Empty self of self and exalt Christ, and you'll proclaim his death until he returns because of the life that you're living. We don't have to just read about John the Baptist and read about Mary and others who have done that. We can do that. We can pass it on. I don't know how much time we have before we won't have another opportunity to do that. To empty ourselves of self, to say I'm hitting the whole trail, to say I'm going all the way. I'm pouring everything out for him. I know that as I get older, I become more passionate about that. And I thought I was excited about serving Christ when I rededicated my life in my late teen years and in my college years when I answered a call to ministry. But now I'm starting to look at it like, I know we've got a lot of sports fans here. But I start to break life down into halves and quarters sometimes. And and if you've ever been watching a ball game, if you've ever been watching a football game and you're behind in the second half and you're like, man, they're going to have to get with it. That clock's ticking. Or if you're watching the Braves in the late innings, it's like, if they're going to rally, they're going to have to do it soon. Or if you're watching the Daytona 500 or or a race somewhere and somebody's been kind of laying back, you're like, well, if they're going to make a move, they better do it now. 
And, and some of those venues, they're watching the weather a little bit too. They, they have, kind of have an eye on the sky and saying, you know, this event might not make it to what we thought the end was going to be, and I want to be leading. You know, if, if it starts to rain and there's 100 laps to go, the race is over. Who's, who's up front? Where am I? I begin to look at my life that way. Partly saying, I don't know how many years I have left to invest in the next generation. I want to make all my time count. I want to be totally expendable for the kingdom of God today. I want to make every hour count for the cause of Christ. And and I do all of that, and I might think, well, the average life expectancy is about 77 for females and 74 for males. And so maybe I've got... I don't know how much time I've got. I better keep an eye on the sky if you know what I'm saying this morning. And I pray that we would all have that attitude that was in Christ saying, I'm going to be sold out now. I want to make a difference now. And I want to pass this on to the next generation now. I don't know how much time I've got. I want to make every moment count. So Paul writes to Ephesus and says, be wise walk in wisdom redeeming the time don't wait till the fourth quarter don't act like you're playing the falcons and you can get away with that invest now get busy now for the glory of god nothing's too extravagant for jesus bow your heads with me father we thank you thank you for the testimony of this lady who gave what she could, who did what she could, while others may have been critical at the extravagant act of worship, she was simply obedient to do what you called her to do. And Lord, we're grateful that it pointed us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, our response today, I pray, would be that we would give our all to you as well. Lord, as we have an opportunity to respond, help us to respond with the same obedience. Not worrying about what anybody around us, either in this place of worship or in our community or in our school or in our work environment, that we wouldn't care about their criticisms, that we would only care about exalting Christ pointing others to the sacrificial lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Pray this in Jesus' name.